From economics to geopolitics, this is The Shady Economist. I'm your host, Alex Colalillo, an economist and risk advisor. Please join me and special guests on all things economics, international relations and more. I'm here to keep you informed, simplify complex economic theory and equip you with the tools to empower yourself and engage in intellectual debate. So, let's get started. Here's a classic debate. Should I rent or should I buy? This question has riddled so many millennials with anxiety. It's all too often that you'll open up Instagram to realise a friend has purchased their first house and you sit there thinking, am I throwing all my money away by renting? How many people have turned to you and said, oh, don't rent. You'll be renting for the rest of your life if you don't buy soon. Sort of like if you haven't bought your house by 28, you haven't got your life together. Seeking affirmation from others on whether you've made the right decision is quite natural, though. So if you're in your 20s, I'm sure many of you would have had these discussions before. I know I've certainly had them. In fact, the other day, a friend called me up and told me she had enough money to put a deposit down on a two-bedroom house. While I congratulated her for it, my adult brain could only extend as far as to question whether it would be worth buying those sunglasses I had my eye on for a trade-off of not being able to eat out for the next week until my next paycheck came in. Wait, hold on a second. Aren't I meant to be the responsible economist here who's been financial planning since 15 years of age? Well, we could probably rephrase that to, I'm the responsible economist who also likes to have a lot of fun. You see, the trade-offs we're talking about here, whether that be renting or buying or simply deciding whether to eat out or save up for something you like, is the art of opportunity cost. Am I calling an economic term art? Yes, I am. We can quickly define opportunity cost here before we get into it. It's what you could have had if you made choice A, but gave up because you selected choice B. A simple example would be deciding to go out to dinner rather than going to a movie. The opportunity cost here of that decision was that you didn't get to see the film. Make sense? So why do some people believe home ownership is a smart financial move, while some others believe it's the worst financial move you can make? To address this question, it helps to seize both sides of the argument. And this episode isn't going to tell you whether buying is better than renting or vice versa, as the arguments on both sides are too multifaceted. Rather, it's going to give you the economic tools to enhance your decision-making process so you can decide for yourself. But it's important to make something clear. It's never really possible to know for sure whether it's a better idea to rent or buy at any given time. And here's why. If, say, rent and prices both go up in the future, then buying's likely to have been a good idea. And this is because the value of your house would have appreciated over time, given it's a wealth generating asset, as opposed to renting, where your monthly payments would only have continued to increase, and these payments are not really contributing towards an asset that you own. On the flip side, though, if rents and prices both go down in the future, then renting may have been the better idea, as the value of your house would have depreciated over time, as opposed to renting, where your monthly repayments would have potentially declined. Anyway, let's first look at the arguments in favour of buying. When house prices on the rise, it's great if you've already invested in a house. If we take a look at pre-COVID-19 times, before the housing market slumped, house prices were actually on the incline between 2013 and 2018. 
In fact, median property prices in Sydney rose more than 70% over this period. Other major cities like Melbourne and Brisbane saw steady gains as well. So, to state the obvious, in periods of growth, the value of houses will inevitably increase, meaning that if you sell your house at a prime time, you will gain a significant return on your investment. There are also tax benefits associated with owning your own home over the long run, as you generally don't pay capital gains tax on your primary place of residence, if it has a dwelling on it or if you've lived in it, of course. And just for reference, capital gains tax is just a tax levied on profit from the sale of a property or investment. Third, buying gives you the benefit of leverage. Leverage just meaning the use of borrowed money to invest. If we look at Australia, banks often lend a high percentage of the total value of the house, meaning the leverage can be quite high, and it's typical to contribute about 20% deposit on your house, with the bank mortgage covering the remaining 80%. This is also known as an 80% loan-to-value ratio. It's also worth noting that property builds equity in an appreciative house price environment. And for reference, equity is just the difference between the value of the asset and what you owe on that asset. This equity can be leveraged to increase your future borrowings. For example, if your house is worth, say, $500,000 in the market and you currently owe $400,000 on that house, you'll have $100,000 in equity, which you can leverage if you were to take out a new mortgage on a second property. This enhances your purchasing power and ultimately builds your wealth, ceteris paribus. Okay, I just use a very funky word there, ceteris paribus, but I feel like you guys need to know what this is because too often economists will throw this word out there, assuming that people know what it is, just so they can feel above everyone else. And it's, it's really not that complex at all. It's just a shorthand indication of the effect of one economic variable on the other, provided all other variables remain the same. So in this case, what we're saying here is that if we look at the effect in isolation of leveraging your equity as a purchasing power mechanism on your next mortgage, it should build your wealth. Further, while mortgage repayments can hold you down from purchasing other activities, such as travel in some cases, it's important to remember that the value of interest payments decreases over time as a greater proportion of debt continues to be paid off. There are also non-financial benefits. For example, when you own your home, there is a security of not being displaced, unlike renting, where the landlord can decide to kick you out, and you also have the ability to renovate the property how and when you like. To top it off, if we look at what the Australian government is doing at the moment, they're injecting a $25,000 stimulus grant for people who want to build a new home or renovate, so it's a good time to be building a house. Okay, now let's look at some arguments against buying, because obviously when everyone buys a house, they feel quite accomplished. It seems like the right thing to do, but maybe not for everyone. Let's firstly touch on interest repayments. A popular myth perpetuated by plenty of people working in the real estate industry is rent money is dead money, or so the saying goes. But one could argue that interest repayments are dead money, right? Interest rates are currently at an all-time low of 0.25%. And while I'm referring to the RBA cash rate here, it's important to note that mortgage rates on loans tend to fluctuate in line with interest rates. So because of the economic downturn we're currently in, the interest rate is very low at the moment, and so mortgage rates are also lower than they would usually be. But I want to base this argument on a more typical scenario. Let's assume the mortgage variable interest rate is 3.75%. This means that to buy a $1 million house you would pay about $30,000 of interest each year 
on an $800,000 loan. This is almost the same amount as the $27,000 you would pay to rent a similar property for the year. While the interest rate is currently at an all-time low, there is a likely chance that interest rates may be far higher in the long term when the economy recovers, meaning that if you buy a house now, mortgage repayments could increase significantly in the future, unless you switch to a fixed-rate mortgage, of course. Further on this point, let's make the distinction between an interest-only mortgage versus an interest and principal mortgage. An interest and principal mortgage is one in which you pay a proportion of your mortgage off per month in addition to the interest on that debt. An interest-only mortgage is one where you solely make interest repayments per month for the first several years of the loan, as opposed to your payments including both principal and interest. And in certain circumstances, such as the present pandemic we're in, banks will offer the option of just paying interest on homeowner mortgages rather than the principal. But there are issues with this. For example, now that banks are ending interest-only home loans as COVID-19 restrictions ease, investors are facing big hikes in their monthly bank repayments as they switch from interest-only to paying off the principal on their loans as well. So those without jobs will be struggling. A second argument against buying is opportunity cost. In this context, opportunity cost refers to the cost of having your money tied up in a property instead of using that money elsewhere. Instead, you could be receiving investment returns on, say, bank deposits. For example, if you invested $170,000 of a deposit in an EFT that gives a 5% real return, that's approximately a $9,000 return right from the start, which by itself would be a hefty share of the rent you would need to pay per year. Another opportunity cost of buying a house would be missing the opportunity to move to a new city quickly or take a job abroad because you're tied down. Third, the transaction costs of buying and selling a property are quite high. The RBA estimates that the costs of buying a house, including stamp duty and other buying costs, can equate to 4.3% on average. On the other hand, though, when selling a house, you have advertising costs and real estate agent commissions, which can add up to approximately 3%. So one could say that the total cost of buying and selling a house is about 7.3%, and this is exclusive of the ongoing running costs of actually owning the property itself, which would include, you know, insurance costs, council rates, repairs, and depreciation. Last but not least, while buying a home is a significant investment, it isn't a liquid investment. And what I mean by this is that you can't quickly convert your investment into cash and sell it right away, unlike stocks and bonds, for example. Now, while I referred to purchasing a house as an investment, let's quickly define what a good investment is, though. It's something that puts money in your pocket, and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. In this context, even once you've paid off your mortgage, your home is still taking money out of your pocket in the form of taxes and maintenance costs. So arguably, there is a liability component associated with owning your home, plus the value of real estate typically barely outpaces inflation. Now that we've broken down the pros and cons of buying, let's look at the arguments for renting. The first is the return on savings. You may be thinking, wait, how on earth are you saving if you're paying for rent every week? You see, naturally, if you buy a house, most of your savings will be invested in the deposit and put aside for mortgage repayments. If you rent instead, your savings could be invested elsewhere, meaning that you may be able to earn a higher return on your savings than would be possible in property. Second, you mitigate risk when the economy experiences a downturn. If your rental home loses value and you're personally affected by an economic downturn, 
you can always attempt to ask for a rent reduction. During COVID-19, I know plenty of mates who requested a rent reduction and actually receive one because of the state of the economy. But if you own a home and it loses value, we can't just ask the bank to reduce your mortgage, can you? The best you can do is ask for financial hardship assistance. The third argument is diversification. When you buy a house, a significant proportion of your total wealth is packed up in one single investment, which can be impacted by many factors out of your control. So most of your eggs are in one basket. Instead, renting diversifies this risk for you across a broader range of investments. You may be wondering what I mean by diversification. All it is, is a risk management tool that mixes a wide variety of investments within a portfolio to limit exposure to any single asset or risk. Fund managers and investors often diversify their investments across asset classes and determine what percentages of the portfolio to allocate to each. These classes can include stocks, bonds, real estate, as just mentioned, exchange rate funds, commodities, cash and short-term cash equivalents. Now that we've cleared that up, let's look at a non-financial benefit of renting, which of course is flexibility. Your choice to rent or buy really depends on what kind of person you are and where you're at in life. If you're a young adult who intends to move from country to country or you're not quite sure where your job will take you, renting may be the best way to go. Now, after everything I've said, it may seem like renting is a good idea, but we all know there are downfalls. First is rental costs. Put simply, rent is the cost of borrowing an asset equivalent to the interest you would typically pay on a mortgage and will steadily increase over time due to inflation and the rise of property prices. So one could argue that while you may pay a mortgage on a house, at least the asset is yours, not a borrowed one. Whereas when you rent, that money is simply put aside for you to borrow the house. Second, renting doesn't encourage savings. Rather than putting money aside for a compulsory mortgage repayment each month, it's likely to be spent elsewhere. This is also known as the rent trap. Here is the reason why you save when you've put a deposit on a house. If you have a traditional mortgage that pays down principal and interest, the mortgage forces you to save because you are forced to pay your mortgage every month if you want to keep your property. A percentage of each mortgage payment goes towards the principal, which can then be considered a savings. Last, while there are ongoing costs of owning a house, once the mortgage is eventually paid off, you're actually free of those monthly payments to live. Plus, once you retire, your income may reduce and so you may be less likely to be able to afford monthly rent payments and periodic rent increases. So there are certainly psychological benefits to rent-free living as you're less exposed to volatility in house prices. In summary, the bottom line is, sometimes it's smarter to rent and sometimes it's smarter to buy. Rather than giving in to one side or another, it's more helpful to assess your lifestyle circumstances, financial situation, and learn the economic dynamics of the housing market discussed above, then do what's right for you. If you don't have a mortgage yet, this episode would at least allow you to consider the opportunity cost of owning a home. Don't get me wrong, having a house can bring a lot of emotional benefits and intrinsic value that goes far beyond financial implications, but it's not for everyone. If you are thinking about making the next big purchase in your life, I recommend reading a blog by The Stingy Bitch to figure out how you can save money to invest and still afford to order a double shot ice latte at brunch every weekend. Whether you're looking to save all of your hard-earned cash to score yourself a one-way ticket to the other side of the world, or wanting to start slowly building your nest egg to ensure that you can retire comfortably at an early age, she has all the tips and tricks for you. 
So if you're a 20-something that is seeking to hit a money savings goal, check out the Stingy Bitches plan to save as much money as you can and invest it wisely. You can check it all out on the web if you punch in thestingybitch.com or follow her on Instagram. And if you're wondering, the Stingy Bitch does have a name. It's Liv, and I can personally confirm she's not a bitch. Removing ourselves from the back and forth about buying and renting, here is a quote that my dad referenced the other day by Jimmy Dean. You can't change the direction of the wind, but you can adjust the sails to reach your destination. And I like this quote because it's a great metaphor, suggesting that while you may face many obstacles or adversities in your life, that being the wind, you can adjust your path, or in this case your sails, in order to achieve your goals. I'll leave you on that. You're listening to The Shady Economist, making economics accessible to everyone. Please follow me on Instagram at The Shady Economist. And as I've said before, if there are any topics you'd like me to discuss in the future or in episodes, please feel free to let me know. Or if you want some clarity behind any topics or any theory, just send me a message and happy to address them in there. I look forward to you listening in on the next episode. Bye for now. Mm